This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Only reason why I, I'm not playing this game is because we know that it's not worth it to get bullied endlessly and called transphobic endlessly. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Gita Jackson, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today I am joined once again by Gita Jackson. Gita, hello! How are you? I'm doing surprisingly well, actually. It's an unusually warm day in New York yet again. It is. It is. It is. It's giving apocalypse vibes, but Mm -hmm. I will enjoy the apocalypse as it's happening. I know. I know exactly what you mean. It's been a few months since the last time you were on the show explaining Twitch to me, which was truly one of the most helpful things that has ever been done in the world. Thank you for your public service. No problem. Um, (laughs) So how have you been? Because your recent tweets, I follow you on Twitter, obviously, suggest that you have been having a time. Yeah, you know... um... <laughs> the internet is not always the most pleasant place for black femmes, uh, as we both are very aware. And mm-hmm. recently, it's become even more unpleasant for me personally. <laughs> but I, I'm a strong person. I will persevere. Before we get into why exactly you've been having a time, though, I didn't ask you when you first came on the most important question on this podcast, which is, what is your first internet memory? So my dad works in IT, so he brought back the internet to our house when I was pretty like young, like 10 years old. Um, and bef- I think my first real memory of using it as an independent person rather than my dad showing off this new tech toy that he brought home from the office was arguing with uh, shippers on a Digimon forum at age 12. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's also lovely to know that you've never changed. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You know, there's a picture of me uh, as a baby, like gazing in awe at a computer screen, and it's like this is where it all started. That's where the worms infested my brain, and now you're I've like, this never is stopped. my villain origin story. Absolutely. <laughs> the minute you put me in front of a computer, parents, you shouldn't know. <laughs> you're like, I will be arguing online. So, I mean, speaking of childhood memories, we have both mentioned to each other that we were Harry Potter children growing up, and so I'm curious. So whether you remember like the first time you encountered Harry James Potter, is that his middle name? I think his middle name is James, yes. Okay, there we go. So I, um, my family friends, the Reeds, when they, they took a trip to England to see their son. And when they came back, they were like, 
everybody in England is reading this book. And we got the third one in the series for you. And it's not out in America yet. So I read the third Harry Potter book, which is still my, by far my favorite of all of them, when I was like 11. And it was like every other child across the world. It was over for me. You know, that yeah. ended up being like a huge part of my adolescence. And, you know, I went from arguing with shippers on a Digimon forum to arguing with shippers uh, on live journal. <laughs> um, I had a somewhat similar awakening to the Harry Potter lifestyle. They were at first banned in my household because my mother grew up in a hyper-religious household and was like, this is witchcraft and therefore is of the devil. Mm-hmm. And so my older brother, who's like four years older than me, was not allowed to read it, which was, you know, really terrible for him. So my granddad, my dad's father, was just like, I'm going to buy this boy a book. So he buys him the first Harry Potter book, like behind my mother's back. And it was basically over from there. And then somehow in the intervening years, my mother's become a huge Harry Potter fan to the point that she watched that like Harry Potter trivia game show and tried to get me to watch it. And I was just like the person that watched that. We found the one person who watched it. (laughs) And it is my mother. And I'm like, look at how far we've come, like, from it being witchcraft from the devil to you being like, ah, yes, I know this trivia. (laughs) I'm proud of her. That's gross. Same. That is gross. Um, So Harry Potter's not a family activity, or, like, it was a family activity. Yeah, it's gone through some stages. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. Harry Potter as a thing that exists. We're at a new stage now. Mm-hmm. We we are at a, a hugely different stage, not least because there's a new work in the canon. There's something else has been added. It's con- Things are constantly being added. But this time it's a video game and it's Hogwarts Legacy. And it has had the internet in uproar. Yeah, so Hogwarts Legacy um, is a video game. Uh, there's an open world video game, meaning like it takes place on a on Hogwarts Castle and the surrounding areas, and then you can explore all these different areas and all parts of the castle. Uh, and came out last month. And if you haven't been paying attention to the game, then you might have maybe have noticed that uh, discussions around the game, even when it comes to sort of like Twitch streamers who might play it, has become incredibly toxic uh, on Twitch. There are, it's been a huge source of controversy, like basically every week there's like a new person who's getting harassed or bullied for for playing the Harry Potter game. Most notably, I think Hassan Piker, who we've discussed last time we were talking about Twitch, um, he got came under fire for explaining why he wasn't going to play the game because he said it was quote unquote not worth it to get yelled at, which I think most things are not worth getting yelled at, so more power to you. Um... Trans people and their allies have been speaking out about playing the game or sort of acting as free advertisement on Twitch because of J.K. Rowling's anti-trans rhetoric. You know, most recently, she has gone after a referendum on gender laws in Scotland that would have allowed uh, trans people to self-ID and change their gender on their you know uh, identification documents without having to go through a huge amount of rigmarole. And she wore a T-shirt with the First Minister of Scotland, who's uh, Nicola Sturgeon, that said, Nicola Sturgeon, definition, destroyer of women's rights. So I don't think she could make her position any more clear. And now it's become to this sort of head where if you even discuss the game at all, 
you will be inundated with people, either people who want you to play the game to uh, own the libs or people who desperately do not want you to play the game because of its connection to J.K. Rowling. So I had the pleasure of reviewing this game and I have a lot of things to say about it. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to talk all about Hogwarts Legacy. We're going to talk about the legacy of Harry Potter as a franchise and how the Wizarding World that J.K. Rowling created has become one of the most toxic touchstones in the current culture wars. All of that after a short break. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. And we're back. Before the break, Gita and I discussed the beginning of our relationship with Harry Potter, which I think kind of perfectly sets us up to get into the recent controversy surrounding the game. I have to admit two things. One, I wasn't paying attention to any of this because, you know, as discussed, J.K. Rowling has made her opinions clear and I'm not giving my money to her. So (laughs) I've been tuning out of Harry Potter stuff for the past, I would say, six years. Like, I have not seen any of the Fantastic Beasts movies. The second thing I have to admit is that I have only recently gotten into gaming. And by recently, I mean I've been playing Hades, the game, for the past year and a half. But what that means is I'm not super up to date on gaming news. So I, again, am so glad that you're here to explain to me the context of this game. Yeah, you're in luck because I'm a freaking nerd. (laughs) I love video (laughs) games. So am I. Just different flavors. I know. It's uh, the Venn diagram of our nerdery is extremely fun. But so Hogwarts Legacy, which is named after the school in the Harry Potter books, which is called Hogwarts, is an open world game where you just have a big, big old map 
and mm-hmm. things that are activities that are, are strewn across the map and you're supposed to feel like it's a, a living, breathing world you're exploring. But it's uh, set Hogwarts in the 1890s, so like 100 years before the original story of Harry Potter takes place. And you play as a student that's 15 years old, joining the school's a fifth year, uh, which is unusual for Harry Potter, and you are solving the mystery of your ancient magic powers and also stopping a goblin rebellion. So I found this game weird, borderline nonsensical in its plot and storytelling, and then just mechanically extremely unfun to play. First up, like I originally was supposed to review this on my PC, and the game crashed my computer twice. Once I got it to function on my PS5, let me just ask you, when you think about a game you want to play with about Harry Potter, like what are some action verbs you would think of? What would you want to do at Hogwarts? Well, I mean, the draw of Harry Potter is that it's a magical boarding school. So probably go to class, yeah. learn some spells. I mean, yeah. personally, I'm a Pisces, so I love romance. So mm-hmm. I would love to romance some people. Yeah. Okay. You don't do that last thing. Um, what? You don't romance anybody. There's no romance quests. The necessary times you have to go to class to pick up spells that you need for the game to progress is three. You do not have to go to class otherwise. It doesn't feel like you're going to school. You can just run around in the area outside of Hogwarts, like literally just run around in the wilderness for days on end. And it has no effect on your school performance. That's like the whole animating fear in Harry Potter besides Voldemort. Like, am I gonna pass my test and also am I gonna get detention in the Forbidden Forest? How is that not a part of the game? What are you doing then? I mean, what do you do? Okay, well, I mean, so your your very first spell that you learn is basic cast and you can use it to manipulate the environment a little bit. You use it for puzzle solving sometimes, but the mostly it is like a basic damage spell that you use for combat. Your wand feels like a gun, more or less. And then the spells that you use are also mostly combat focused. That's really weird because most of the spells that are mentioned in the books are not. Like there's a whole class that's for combat and then every other class. Yeah. And from there, the spells that you'd use are also mostly combat focused. And I realized while I was playing that each spell in combat, they all do different things. Like Leviosa levitates things and Farago sends a a firebolt out at things. And there's a a transfiguration spell that you can use to turn your enemies into chickens. But they all have the same (laughs) basic result. It's really, really sad. God, I mean, that's... The worst part of the movies is that it makes the magic so unmagical. Like the wand becomes a gun where it just shoots out lasers when it's like the most fun part of Harry Potter is like learning what all these spells do and like the way that magic can interact with the world. So it sounds like it took the worst parts of the movie and made it a game. Yeah, the game itself is really beholden to the Warner Brothers movie production design because this is based on the license that WB owns for for the movie. So we walk into the Grand Hall and it looks exactly like it does in the films, which is disappointing to me and probably a lot of other fans who, like me, read the books like way, way before the movies even came out or even were conceived of. I imagine the Grand Hall looking differently when I read the books, you know, like I would want it to see 
maybe a slightly different vision of what it meant to be in the wizarding world or a, a different take on some of these locations. You know, it's been a hundred years. How is the Grand Hall different or no, similar? Exactly. It's a hundred years in the past, right? Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel a hundred years in the past. Like witches and wizards act and speak primarily in the same way as you would be used to if you watched the films. There's there's no connection to what was going on in the world in 1890. It feels very incidental that it's set at that time. That reflects a lot of the issues with the Harry <laughs> Potter world in general, is yeah. that they're just like, what's happening in the muggle world? It doesn't matter. Don't worry about <laughs> it. I wish at least, like, the, the very least, you know, the minions, they put them in a cave. You know, they knew somebody was going to ask what the minions were up to <laughs> during World War II, and they put them in a cave. <laughs> J.K. Rowling is Not sort of like, I don't care. the minions better lore than I know. <laughs> but the minions low-key does have better lore than Harry Potter. <laughs> it kind of does. It kind of does. Okay, so the lore doesn't build out. Your, your wand is a gun, and you said there's no romancing. Are there at least, like, do you make friends? Like, that's the fun part of Hogwarts. Like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione's friendship is pretty much the defining trait of the entire series. The Golden Trio. So you don't get a Golden Trio. What you do get instead are storylines relating to characters at the school. There is one storyline for each house. So the storyline for Slytherin, I was sorted into Slytherin, and I've always been sorted into Slytherin every single time I've taken a sorting test. When you meet the Slytherin guy that teaches you the unforgivable curses, that's his quest line, you can become his best friend in the world. Mm -hmm. But the end of his quest line does involve him killing a man, pointing his wand at someone in cold blood and saying, Avada Kedavra. And you then have the choice to turn them in and they go to Azkaban or um, <laughs> never tell anyone that he is a murderer and he will continue being able to go to school. And I turned him in and his sister thinks it's the wrong choice and it's implied that he becomes even further radicalized against goblins because he has to go to Azkaban. Um... But if you don't turn him in, he, he afterward, he's like, wow, I, I learned my lesson. I'll never <laughs> dabble in the dark arts ever again. And, and like nobody solves this murder <laughs> that occurs. You mean committing a crime is fine as long as it's done by someone we like? You know what? I, the politics of that make a lot of sense. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> For what we know about J.K. Rowling and the world of Harry Potter, it does make sense that they're like, if you hide this murder, it will be better for everybody, except for the guy who was murdered, but we won't talk about him anymore. <laughs> it makes no effort to elaborate in the spaces where Harry Potter has left a lot of gaps, and it is a game in terms of its mechanics and the way it plays that feels like it was made 10 years ago. That... Makes a lot of sense, but also it's like it, it feels so toxic at this point to even touch, and that's largely because of like the worldview of the creator of the universe, which is Joanne Rowling. Um, there's there's a lot of there there to get into in terms of what Rowling has done and how she has become um, reigning turf in chief. Turf is you know trans exclusionary radical feminist, um, basically. 
someone whose feminism relies on excluding trans people and trans women from their world. And JK is on that turf train. She's driving the turf train. Choo choo, motherfucker. She has built the turf train brick by brick. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is all her at this point. And so this game is being like subsumed into that and it's impossible not to collapse the two into one oh yeah um when we were prepping this episode something that kind of kept coming up was the fact that even before joanne's hard turn towards turfdom fans were already kind of trying to refigure their relationship to the canon and something you also mentioned was that you think that that kind of refiguration has three distinct phases. We're going to explain what exactly the turfdom is later. But before we get into that, tell me what these three phases are. I think you remember, of course, after Harry Potter finished, I think maybe a month after, J.K. Rowling revealed that she conceived Dumbledore as a gay character. And uh, the relationship that he had with canonically wizard Hitler was a romance. <laughs> the saddest gay man in the world. <laughs> you fell in love with Hitler in your 20s mm -hmm. and then never loved again. <laughs> so after that was like a, like a, a post-series canonical change or clarification that people really appreciated. It seemed to be in line with the overall sort of the white feminist message of the book in terms of its mm -hmm. like approach to racism and equality. It seemed to be in line with that. Oh, here's an example of a marginal community that is discriminated against, you know, just like the muggle-born wizards are discriminated against. We got it, Joanne. But especially when she started making Fantastic Beasts, she kept adding new things to the canon. Everyone remembers uh, the wizards didn't used to have toilets. Yes. They don't know why she revealed that fact. The CIA couldn't have gotten that information out of me. Literally remember the era where she just kept adding things to the lore that none of us yeah, needed. Uh, and we were all just like, Joanne! Nagini is an Asian woman. The snake. Who Nagini has been transformed into a snake. And now we're all just like, um... So the second Asian character in your series is a snake. No, exactly. <laughs> I uh, I was working at Kotaku at the time, and I wrote a blog that was titled "J.K. Rowling needs to stop messing with Harry Potter" because I just feel like she was she was also getting on people's cases for saying that <laughs> they felt like Jeremy Corbyn was like Dumbledore. She was very angry about this, and you know, wrote a whole thing about. She didn't say that Harry would have um, supported Israel, but she suggested <laughs> it. <laughs> we didn't need to know these things, you know? We just didn't need to know. And I feel like... I don't need to know because, like, then you start thinking about, like, you know, Harry Potter was alive during, like, South African apartheid. How does he feel about that? You know, like, I don't just... I don't need... Also, what are wizards in South Africa doing? What are black wizards doing in America during Jim Crow? I like, know. what? If I have so many questions, and none of them were answered by knowing that wizards didn't used to use the toilet. Like, yes, yes, exactly. I mean, it's like finding out the African, because there's only one school for the entire continent of Africa, was named Ugadu, which feels just. Yeah, and guess where it is? Uganda. So, this is phase one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is phase one where people, fans like us, were just like, Stop it, Joanne. We like your books. You don't like, need to add to them. Please. please My crops are dying. Please stop. And like, 
after fans already were kind of falling off, people started noticing that she was following people that were associated with, you know, trans-exclusionary radical feminism and liking and responding to these tweets. There, I think something happened where she was looking for children's illustrations to use in a children's book, and she accidentally copied and pasted something in a reply that was definitely a reply to a different person talking about trans people, and it was disparaging. And people noticed that, and she eventually, on, on June 10th, 2020, she wrote a blog called J.K. Rowling Writes About Her Reasons for Speaking Out on Sex and Gender Issues. And this is the real, like, mask-off moment where she compared trans women to rapists and predators and made also weird disparaging remarks about trans men and autism. And it, since then, it has only gotten more extreme, you know, including the recent incident where she was campaigning heavily against this law in Scotland that would have allowed you know, trans people to self-ID and wore this t-shirt and has continued to call it like a travesty against women's rights, which trans women are women, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, and I I just, this isn't even the most important thing about that entire, like, timeline, but I'm just thinking about what was happening in June 2020, and then having the audacity to be like, you know what the world needs right now? I know. You know what the world needs right fucking now? There were marches coming down my street in Bushwick, and this woman is writing a blog. People were dying. Like, Like, oh my god. God, and you just have the audacity to be like, I got some hot cooking for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, did you guys not have enough to worry about? Here you go. Here you go. Oh, my God. Honestly, I need to take a break because I just I'm thinking about June 2020 and that always makes me need no, a break. No, and let's take a breather. <laughs> let's take a breather. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Hogwarts legacy seems to kind of be cementing a process that's been happening over the past like decade-ish. And also try to answer the big, big question of how to engage with something you loved as a child that maybe you shouldn't love as an adult. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then welcome. We're so thrilled to have you here, in case you missed it. 
that's what ICYMI stands for. Also, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You're currently listening to the Saturday episode, and our past Wednesday's episode was all about the beef between Selena Gomez and Hailey Bieber. There's a lot going on. So much going on. You definitely don't want to miss it. (laughs) And we're back to talk about childhood. Let's talk about our inner child. I'm in therapy now. (laughs) I know what that is. Oh, I love it. Rachel, I have a question for you. It's my therapist voice. Did you read Harry Potter fan fiction? Oh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not as a child, which I think is really interesting because I'm narcissistic, but I didn't engage in Harry Potter fan fiction until like 2020 uh, because it was as we talked about, a rough year for everybody for reasons we don't need to talk about anymore. And at that point, I got so into Wolfstar, which is the ship between Remus Lupin and Sirius Black, to the point that I bullied my entire team into letting me do a whole episode on all the young dudes, which is a 500,000-word Remus Lupin serious black fan fiction is um, that bullying or was that for their own good <laughs> i mean i think it's for their own good but <laughs> they have some disagreements about that <laughs> i you know fear i was also a huge wolf star shipper back it's back the, in the best day. ship <laughs> i loved wolf star my ship of of choice for them was the shoebox project which was oh, a, a yeah. fic that's written as if it's a collection of like ephemeral materials, like the kind of stuff you'd keep in a shoebox, like mementos from school. And part of what I really like about fan fiction like this is, you know, we're both interested in what fans of Harry Potter called the quote unquote, like the Marauders era, which is essentially Mm -hmm. just when Harry's parents went to school. Yeah. And there's like a lot of interesting character dynamics in that, especially like in the third book, you get to meet Sirius and Remus as adults and they have an intense bond that, Mm-hmm. feels i don't know it just feels very romantic to me also it's just like yeah. werewolfism is like a disease that requires people to take medication and makes them mm-hmm. very weak and sickly and also makes people afraid of having werewolves around their children because they don't want their children to be infected it's a very on the nose aids allegory um yeah. and for years i thought that this meant that remus lupin was a, a gay man I feel like, as a reader, that J.K. Rowling doesn't really understand what she wrote with that character. Like, Remus Lupin is a gay man. I, I, if you're writing an AIDS allegory, you're not going to make that character straight, usually. No, exactly. And it's also like the actor who played Lupin in Prisoner of Azkaban, David Thewlis, and also Alfonso Cuaron, who directed Prisoner of Azkaban, both were like, yeah, we're this character's gay. We're playing him as gay. Like, everyone knows. I just read what was written down and we just all decided to go with it. So for J.K. Rowling to be like, actually, (laughs) actually, you're wrong and I'm right. I was just like, bitch, shut up. I don't give a fuck what you say anymore. (laughs) It was that and then her saying that Hermione could be read as black. No, she couldn't have. (laughs) she, She was like, if you'll notice, I never said she wasn't. And it's like, um... 
babes, every single black character in this in this series is very clearly black because you describe them as black with the capital every B. Every single time. Like, remember when we finally met... Blaze Zabini? Blaze Zabini that everyone thought was a, an Italian, a beautiful white Italian. She was like, and he's black! And she went to such great lengths to describe his high cheekbones and dark mm-hmm. skin. And it's yep. like... I didn't necessarily want to know how you fetishize black people, but now I do. Now I'm aware. Now I'm aware. Now I know every other character who's not described this way is probably white. Thank you for letting me know. Unless their name is Cho Chang and we can all guess what's happening there. Oh my God. Parvati and Padma Patil. Kill me. Kingsley Shacklebolt, you know. Blackity black man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's we would know if a character was black because she went out of her way to describe black characters, blackness every time they appeared. Yes. Yes. There's this like really popular idea, I feel like, among, you know, the turf adjacent right people who ally themselves with J.K. Rowling. That the reason Harry Potter fans don't fuck with JK is because of her like turfiness, which is a good enough reason not to fuck with someone. But like we said before, her death of an author journey, the moment that fans started to be like, actually, you know what? I don't think this belongs to you anymore. It belongs to us and we're ignoring you began a long time before it became just so crystal clear how transphobic she was, which means that the Harry Potter fandom has had a while to kind of figure out what it meant to be a fan of this series especially if you were a fan who was just like not cis or white or straight. Like you already knew that what was written down was not going to be the end all be all for you. Yeah. You know, I think um, a lot of fandom in a broad sense has to do with sort of finding yourself in a text when you are not necessarily represented as you would like to be. And there is a lot of fan fiction that takes the ideas, the environment of Harry Potter and reframes them and recontextualizes them in a way where it takes into account intersections of race, gender, sexuality, gender identity that J.K. Rowling either doesn't care about or doesn't know about. Um, One of my favorite examples of this is a fic that comes from 2016 called Do Black Wizards Not, which is a really fantastic short fic that just describes Dean Thomas, a character who is always described so explicitly (laughs) as black, And then just puts them in an intersection with another black character. And it's all about Dean Thomas going to, you know, the the Hogwarts train for the first time and seeing Blaise Zabini, who would end up in Slytherin. You know, Dean Thomas is a Gryffindor and Blaise is a Slytherin. Dean Thomas is Muggleborn and uh, Blaise Zabini is from a pureblood family. And essentially, he's looking and he asks his mom, do you think black wizards nod at each other when they see each other and they're like the only other, the only black people in the space? And that is a question Harry Potter is never asked. It's never asked how race functions in the wizarding world. It assumes in a sort of neoliberal mid 90s end of history type way that all isms will be completely flattened once we get on a, a level playing field otherwise power, you know, in terms of other times of power. And it's so comforting, though, to like read a fic that actually does ask like what what makes wizarding society different in terms of race and like can Dean and Blaze still have a connection through their shared history where where outside they 
of of that simple connection, they would have nothing to do with each other. And there's other example that Black Hermione was something that, like, I read the books and I envisioned myself as Hermione. I had braces and glasses and wild bushy hair. I clearly like thought of myself as Hermione Granger. <laughs> and, the, and and you know, there's also the popular headcanon, which is. That Harry Potter and his parents are a Desi family, which I think mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense and is kind of comforting to to say, well, she didn't envision it this way, but I can read this book and still feel like I see Indianness in the text where it really does not show up in the text at all. In mm-hmm. the England in 1995. <laughs> because race didn't exist at that point. No. It, you know, I I just, I mentioned before the break that I feel like this game kind of just accelerated or cemented a process that began like a really long time ago. Not least because of what we're talking about, which is the issue with Hogwarts Legacy is the same issue that Harry Potter has, which is that it's really actually not compatible with progressive politics that J.K. Rowling used to consider herself like a beacon of and still considers herself a beacon of. Like, there's no way that the people of color in both the 1890s version of Hogwarts or in the 1990s version of Hogwarts wouldn't have thoughts about, like, the British colonial empire as it existed or, like, at that point in time. And it, it just makes you realize... What the fuck was everyone doing when the other shit was happening in the world? Like, what was happening during the AIDS crisis or, like, World War II or just, like, institutionalized racism? And these are just questions that are never answered in the canon. And then the game, it seems like, tries to retcon it into the canon by adding in this kind of, like, surface-level diversity. And it just makes the dissonance so much stronger. It's bizarre. You know, there are so many more professors of color in 1890s Hogwarts than there are in 1995. It feels egregious because we know in 1995 every single one of Harry's professors will be a white person. Mm-hmm. But in 1890s, oh, there's Professor Shaw and your your broom instructor is Japanese and the, the herbology professor is Chinese and all of this stuff. And it's like, well, where did they go yeah. after this? Also, it is weird for me, you know, I, I'm mixed race, I'm half Indian. My mom actually teaches post-colonial literature at a collegiate level. So I think about a lot of these things all the time. But like, to be an Indian in the UK in the 1890s, it's definitely possible, right? Because India is a British colony. But India is a British colony. And to be an Indian in Victoriana, in, in England, you would have to be an exceptional person, like a mathematical genius or an extraordinary beauty or an incredible artist in some way. That's how marginalized people end up tokenized across cultures at this time. And the game does not necessarily portray the real world's politics as interacting with the characters there in a way that really feels bizarre frequently. You look at the books and it like sort of makes sense. You know, she's not trying to promote equality. She's trying to promote the continuation of the status quo. Voldemort isn't a threat because he is wants inequality. Inequality exists in the wizarding world explicitly. House elves. House elves yes. are slaves. Slytherin also exists. That's that's just a, a house in a school that's for evil wizards. Like yeah. none of them yeah. go to the final battle at Hogwarts. They all run away. That's canonical. Like why 
does Slytherin still exist? Like, it's just the forces of the status quo are good. Anyone who tries to stay, change the status quo in any direction is bad. And it feels like, weirdly enough, the ultimate message of Harry Potter is that you should grow up to become a cop. Yes! Which is wild! Like, the conclusion to come to at the end of seven books and eight movies is that, you know, if good people are in the system, then the system works. And that's wild. Hope and change, baby. Oh my god. I just, like, joining the same administration that basically, like, actively gaslit you for years about the return of Wizard Hitler 2.0, and you're just like, ah, yes, I will be a cop for them. (laughs) Like, that branded you in the press as a traitor to the wizard world? (laughs) And you're just like... When you were a child. I just feel like the message in Harry Potter should have been that he should have been an anarchist. Like, my man should have straight up been like... Yes! No, and he's no just gods, like, no masters, no borders. No, exactly! Yeah. But, <laughs> but he's like, no, I want to be an or I'd like to be a magical cop, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I just wish to wield power because mm. that's the best version of this. It's just like Harry Potter is such a specific vision from such a specific person. It is a fantasy for British people and only British people. Like, once you take one or two steps outside of essentially Hogwarts and the, the areas delineated by the the books, the the world that J.K. Rowling has built just starts to break down. And it doesn't even take that much time until you start seeing the inconsistencies. Yeah. I mean, I think what we're coming down to in this discussion is like, Politics notwithstanding, if the game had been good, we'd be having a much different conversation. And we're having this conversation because the game is bad because of the politics of the person who made it. Yeah. Therefore, there are better options out there. You can have fun doing something else. Please do. We have evolved beyond the need for Harry Potter. Just play Elden Ring. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best place to never miss an episode, to never miss a deep dive into that lady's recent ventures. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your friends who play better games than Hogwarts Legacy about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton, with a special thanks to Sierra Spradley-Ricks. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online. Or not at Hogwarts. Whenever you're solving a puzzle, your character speaks out loud to tell you essentially the solution to the puzzle. My partner sat next to me while I was playing this on the couch. And I, whenever that would happen, I would just mutter in my breath, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.